congregation this afternoon, the Lord willing, I hope to preach on the topic of providence. But I see some providence, in fact, in the reading of the word this morning. As I was working on a sermon on Philippians 2, the verses 1 through 11, I really wanted to bring out this whole matter of humility. And so I worked on this sermon, and then I received the bulletin from your pastor uh, a couple days ago. And then I noticed that this same passage is a piece of memory work for the whole congregation. In fact, some of you have already memorized a good portion of it. And so I thought, this is providence. And so it is a joy for me to not only read with you from Philippians 2, the verses 1 through 11, but also to preach on those verses as well. So let us then turn, and perhaps you don't even have to open your Bibles, you have it already in your mind, but we're going to turn then to Philippians chapter 2, the verses 1 through 11. God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of spirit, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every one, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So far, the reading of God's word and the reading of our text. Now, as I indicated already, congregation, we will be looking at these verses, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, in some detail, but also for, I trust, some instruction for each one of us, young and old. I first want to go back to church history for a moment, and I want to make a quote or give you a quote from St. Augustine. And Augustine, he is known as one of the great church fathers, and he once declared the following, and listen to what he says. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes man into angels. Now, the topic, as I indicated already, the topic that I want to address this morning, this hour, is that of humility. Humility. 
And it's based on this very text passage that we've read together to Philippians, or Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. And so my theme is as follows. God's call for our humility, in the first place, enjoyed by fellow Christians, secondly, improved on individually, and then thirdly, to be learned from Christ Jesus. On congregation, some of you might have the question where I get this term humility from. Well, it is actually found here in our text passage, not word for word as such, but it is found in verse 3 where Paul speaks of lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than self. Now, here then is the biblical meaning of humility, and that is in contrast to selfish ambition or conceit. Humility, you see, it is lowliness of mind esteeming others better than self. Now, the Apostle Paul, he takes great pleasure in seeing such humility evident in the people in the city and church congregation of Philippi. And he sees their humility evident, in fact, in four ways, four ways. And so follow me carefully as we begin then at verse 1. The first evidence of their humility is their consolation in Christ. And these Philippian Christians, you see, they have shown that they stand with Paul in his trials and in his difficulties. And this is what Paul really means with the word consolation. It means to stand with or to stand by someone as an encouragement, especially in troubled times. Well, Paul enjoys the consolation that he gets from his Philippian brothers and sisters. They stand with him. They stand by him as a fellow Christian in order to encourage him. And he enjoys this consolation in Christ. Now, it should also be part of your and my joy as Christians to stand with others when they are going through difficulties of different kinds. Notice, I did not say that we stand above them, but that we stand with them. We stand with them. Now, this takes a measure of humility, you see, on both sides. For you to be encouraged by them, and for the others to accept that encouragement as well. And so, humility is necessary on both sides. And the Apostle Paul, again, he enjoys from what he is receiving from his humble Philippian brothers and sisters because they show themselves humility. The second evidence he enjoys is their comfort of love, as our text also speaks of. Perhaps I, I can show you an example of what I mean here. You have a difficult day at work disappointments and frustrations. Things just did not work out very well at work at all. And so you come home tired, worn out. You just want to sit down. But as you get home and you close the door behind you, you are greeted by a loving smile and a warm embrace by your spouse. 
It revives you, you see. It picks you up. It is what Paul means by the comfort of love. And all of us, we all need such comfort of love, don't we? Especially in this day and age when many things can, in fact, be very difficult, very difficult, very disappointing, frustrating, even dangerous. We need the comfort of love, especially as Christians, as when, when the world is making it so tough on us because you no doubt have experienced that for yourself, haven't you? That the world really has no love for Christians whatsoever. But what a joy it is then that you can find your comfort of love with fellow Christians. A friendly smile, brotherly handshake, a warm embrace. What a joy it is, dear people, to be Christian in the true sense of the word. What a joy it is then to know that you are not only loved by the Lord, which is great, but that you are also loved by your fellow brothers and sisters. What a joy that is. Again, this does take humility on both sides. Humility on your part to show others that comfort of love and to say as it were to them, you know, I understand what you are going through. I understand what you need and I will show it to you. And it takes humility on their part to receive such comfort of love. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he enjoyed the comfort of love shown to him by those Philippians. The third evidence of humility Paul enjoys is the fellowship of the Spirit through the Philippians. And you could also translate it this way, spiritual fellowship or spiritual communion. Now, it basically means to share with others the dealings and the blessings of the Lord. Something like what you read, for instance, in Psalm 66 and verse 16, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done to my soul. Paul also experienced this from the Philippians. Paul enjoyed spiritual fellowship as they shared with him all that the Lord has done to them and what the Lord has done for them. Now, this is a Christian thing to do, you see. The Holy Spirit, you see, prompted them to such fellowship and such sharing. But again, it takes humility to engage in such spiritual fellowship and sharing, and that, again, on both sides. Because a proud person, by nature, doesn't do such a thing. It brings joy, however, to the Apostle Paul to experience such fellowship of the Spirit with his Philippian brothers and sisters. The fourth evidence that Paul enjoys in his relationship with the Philippians, brothers and sisters, is called affection and mercy. Affection and mercy. Well, with affection, he means deep emotion, a heart of yearning. We read, for instance, in Genesis 43 and verse 30, 
when Joseph saw his younger brother Benjamin after a long absence, his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. You see, Christians have a special relationship with each other. There is that affection, there is that mercy between them, especially in times of trouble, in times of distance. Christians, they yearn for each other, don't they? There is an emotional tie between them. And it may sound strange to hear this, but Christians have the joy at times weeping with each other, weeping with each other. But again, it takes humility to have such affection and such mercy. And what a joy it is to be Christian and to be able to experience such affection and mercy between each other. As no doubt, you also experience this. Now, what I've done so far is describe how the Apostle Paul could enjoy such humility of his Philippian brothers and sisters. But we, you and I, we who are called Christians, that is, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we trust that that is the case as well. And if not, there's a call to repentance. There's a call to believe in Jesus Christ. And so we who are called Christians, we can also have the same joy fulfilled in your and in my life. And the question is then, is that so with you? Is that so with you? Is it evident amongst us that there is that consolation in Christ, that there is that comfort of love, that there is that fellowship of the Spirit, that there is that affection and mercy? Is there amongst us that humility to show it and that humility also to receive it. It is meant for you and me to be enjoyed. Well, now this takes me to my second heading. Let us improve on it individually. As Paul has, has listed the things that he has enjoyed about the Philippians, he makes clear that he does not want them now to relax and begin taking things for granted, but that they would improve, in fact, upon their humility, each one individually. <clears throat> and so the Apostle Paul speaks in verses 2 through 5, and he again, I detect four areas where the Apostle Paul recommends or commands, and that is really the word used, commands improvement. The first area he mentions is like-mindedness. Verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. According to Paul, the Philippians can improve upon their humility by living or by learning to live unitedly with each other. So far, you may have had a rather idealistic impression of the Christian congregation in Philippi. But as in every Christian congregation, there are hidden weaknesses. There is no Christian 
living on this earth who is perfect. And there are no Christian congregations that are perfect. Paul, therefore, must command them to improve. And yet, that is really how he has put it in the language that we have before us, because he does use imperative words. That is, he uses command words, which tell them to improve. And Paul commands them, therefore, to live unitedly with each other, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, as Christians, we don't all have to think exactly alike. We don't have to think exactly alike. But what Paul means here is what we hear in a choir, and that is harmony. According to the choir director or the choir master, one sings with a soprano voice, Another sings with an alto voice. The third one sings with a tenor voice. And the fourth one sings with a bass voice or whatever else. But together, as they sing together, there is that harmony, as we can also hear here in the singing. There is that harmony that comes across in a beautiful way. They are then in one accord. Well, this is how it should be also with us as Christians. The Holy Spirit, who is our heavenly choir master, our heavenly choir director, has given us a heart, has given us a mind, has given us a voice, not to sow disunity, not to sow disharmony, not to sow confusion, but harmony. And whatever we do, and whatever we say, should therefore be to the glory of Christ. And again, that will take humility on our part, but it will provide harmony. We should be of the same mind to promote the love and to promote the cause of Jesus Christ. According to our text passage, we are to improve on this even. As Christians, we are in fact commanded to live unitedly in harmony with each other. The second area in which we must improve is on behaving maturely. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than self. Dear people, it is a sign of immaturity if you're always trying to outdo the other person. Now, children, they tend to do this by nature. In a very simple way, oh, my daddy is stronger than your daddy. Or my sandcastle is much better than your sandcastle. Or what our text speaks of selfish ambition. Or as it's stated in the King James Version, interpreted as strife. No, I don't want to play this game with you. No, I don't want to walk home with you. I don't want to walk with you to school or stepping on the school bus. No, I don't want you to sit with me. Selfish ambition, strife. The Lord Jesus once gave the example of children playing in the marketplace. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another saying, we played the flute for you. You did not dance. 
We mourned for you. You did not weep. As Christians, dear people, we should be above this kind of mentality. As Christians, we should have that humility to go the extra mile with a brother or sister. As Christians, we should not think ourselves better than the other one. As our text calls that conceit, we need to be very careful with that. As Christians, we are therefore commanded to esteem the other better than self. This means practically to forget what you are good at and prize what your neighbor is good at. It takes humility, therefore, not to blow your own horn. It takes humility to say something good about your brother or sister. But as Christians, this is how we, you and I, are to act, and that by the command of God's word, our text. A third area where we are to improve on is to be considerate of each other's needs and possessions. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, let us stop being so concerned and so careful about what you are and what you have, and let us start becoming concerned about and being careful about our brother or our sister and what they have, and that we help them to keep that possession. In the world, you know, especially in the corporate world, it is every man for himself. And if you have to step on others on the way up the corporate ladder, so be it. That's the attitude in the world, generally speaking. But this is not to be the Christian's approach. And this falls right in line with what the Lord Jesus Christ commands. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. And so let us be happy when a brother or sister in the congregation actually prospers. Let us not be jealous of him or her. Let's praise God with them for the blessings that they may enjoy. When the Lord Jesus tells us the parable of the woman who lost a piece of silver, who found it after a long and, and hard search, she actually invited her friends and her neighbors together and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. And the Lord Jesus teaches us that we as Christians are therefore to rejoice with our brothers and with our sisters when something good has happened to them. On the other hand, when a brother or sister in the congregation is not faring well or has been overtaken by some trouble or some calamity, let us learn then to sympathize with them and be there to help such a brother or sister. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a wonderful example, isn't it? Of such sympathy and caring for the neighbor and for the things our neighbor has. Again, this takes humility, doesn't it? But this is what the Word of God commands us to do. A fourth area where we are to improve is very spiritual, and yet at the same time very practical. 
Again, Paul says it as a command. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, some years ago, well, it's a bit more than just a few years ago, a Christian campaign was started somewhere in the United States that had the initials of WWJD. Christian young people began to wear bracelets on their arms with those initials, WWJD, printed on them. The initials stood for what would Jesus do, WWJD. Now, there was something good about this particular campaign because it reminded the Christians to have the mind of Christ. It caused Christians to, to think in certain problem situations, not what they think or what they should do or what people think or what people should do or what is pragmatic thing to do, perhaps. But what would Jesus do? And it caused Christians then to think about how Jesus would react. It causes Christians then to have the mind in them that was also in Christ Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul speaks of when he writes, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, but we, speaking here of believers, but we have the mind of Christ. And this is both spiritual and practical. When you as a Christian are faced with difficulties or with hard decisions or with temptations, ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? We know that with difficulties, Jesus would consult the scriptures. When Jesus had to make a hard decision, he prayed to his Father in heaven. He sometimes prayed all night long. And when Jesus faced the temptations, and we know he did, especially at the beginning of his ministry on this earth, he countered the temptations and the tempter with those few words. It is written. The Bible tells me, no. That is what Jesus would do. And this is what the Apostle Paul means by having the mind of Christ. And so he gives us this command for you and me to improve on. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, again, this takes humility, the humility to put aside what we think and what we would like to do and what we feel, but to think and to like and to feel and do as Christ Jesus would. Now, this takes me to my third heading, to be learned from Christ Jesus. Where and from whom can you and I learn and improve upon this matter of humility? Well, from the Word of God, definitely, and from Christ Jesus specifically. The rest of our text passage from the verses 5 to 11 it's all about Jesus Christ, isn't it? It is a beautiful and it is a memorable Bible passage. And I would strongly encourage you to go on and memorize it right up to verse 11 and beyond that. Because 
it tells us much about Jesus Christ and how good it is when we memorize it that we have hidden his word in our heart. Why? So that we will not sin against God. This is why memory of scripture is so important. And so, uh, it gives us a description then, this passage from 5 to 11, a description of the character of the Son of God in a nutshell, particularly his humility. I'll be very brief in explaining these verses. It says then of Christ Jesus being in the form of God that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Christ Jesus was in the form, he was in the substance and being equal to God. He did not steal this equality or obtain it by crooked means. It was rightfully his. He did not make himself equal to God by robbery or by crooked means. He did not need to do any such things. He was God already and is God with all the greatness and with all the glory attached to it. He is God of very God and our confession teaches us this as well. God of very God. But what did he do? And here's where you and I can learn a beautiful lesson of humility. He made himself of no reputation, verse 7. Literally, he emptied himself of his divine reputation. He did not stop being God, but he, as it were, laid aside his greatness. He laid aside the glory of being God. He hid his divinity and his greatness and his glory for a time. How far did he go to lay it aside and hide it? Well, let's, let's read on in our text passage. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. He became a man. He became a human being, even in the form of a servant, a bondservant, a slave, in other words. Now, that's already a great step in his humility, isn't it? from being equal to God, becoming equal to the lowest caste of man, a bondservant, a slave. But his humility took him even further down yet, verse 6. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You cannot go lower, you cannot go humbler than that. As a man, as a slave, he, Jesus Christ, sacrificed himself in the most despicable, in the most shameful, in the most, uh, on the most accursed altars imaginable, the cross. That, my friend, that is taking humility to its extreme limits. Why did he do so? Why? To turn people like you and me into Christians as people like you and me repent of sin and look to Jesus Christ in faith. To turn people like you and me into Christians and to have us experience what it means to be saved 
and to be set free from sin and from condemnation. And again, why did he do so? He did it to have Christians also learn what it means to be humble. And dear people, we, we can learn from Jesus Christ what it is then to be humble. It means to lay down any glory that we think we have. It means to become a servant for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means making sacrifices at times so that others may be led to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you see, we can have that salvation from sin and be set free from the condemnation and that through repentance and through faith in Jesus Christ. But from Jesus Christ, we can also learn to become humble and to improve upon our humility. And this is pleasing to God. How do we know? For the rewards that God gives for taking the biblical course on humility. And let's look at how, how God rewarded his son Jesus Christ. We read verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Those of those that are in heaven, those that are on earth, and those who are under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ has been exalted already. He has been raised and raised up to heaven. And he has already a name which is above every name. No name can even come close to the fame of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and whereby we can be saved, but by the name of Jesus Christ. Someday, someday, on the last and great day, he, Jesus Christ, will get his full reward when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is his reward for his humility. Well now, are there any rewards for you and for me as well for our humility as Christians? Yes, there are. The reward is times of joy and times of rejoicing in this life and perfect joy and rejoicing in the life hereafter. It will be a reward for us because Jesus Christ has turned us into Christians and he has compelled us by his word and Holy Spirit to keep on being humble. Dear people, let the world think as it wants to think. But a humble Christian is a pleasure in God's eyes. May you too, young and old, boys and girls, may all of us see it in this way and may we experience it in truth. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for Philippians chapter 2, the verses 1 through 11. We thank you for your word, but we thank you above all 
for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not only set himself to save sinners from their sin, but has also set himself to be the best example of what it means to be humble. We thank you, O Lord Jesus Christ, that you've gone that route. And we thank you also that we do not have to sacrifice our life because you have done it in order to pay for our sin. Grant, therefore, that we may sacrifice our pride so that we may live in a humble manner and in a humble fashion with one another and before you. Teach us so to do. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are giving us everything we need, including the instructions of your holy word. In fact, even the possibility of memorizing this portion of your blessed word. May we be very diligent in doing so. And bless us, we pray. Remember us in your mercy. And as we greet one another, and as we go home later on, please take care of us. And we ask for all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.